Welcome to People in Profit. I'm Kate Moody. Coming up, a price route, a series of high-profile bankruptcies and layoffs, and looming investigations and regulation. What's in store for the cryptocurrency industry this year? How much pushback will the French government get from its second effort to reform the pension system and raise the retirement age? And as Tokyo tries to tempt city dwellers to move away, we look at global efforts to repopulate rural areas and whether they're working. 2022 was a tumultuous year for cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin, the best-known digital coin, plunged from its all-time highs, losing more than 60% of its value, and others followed suit. Some $2 trillion were wiped off the crypto market last year. Adding to the turmoil, a string of bankruptcies. The most spectacular was the collapse in November of crypto exchange FTX, which started the year valued at $32 billion and ended it owing top creditors over $3 billion. Its founder and CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried, who was once seen as a rising star in the industry, has been arrested and is facing charges of fraud and money laundering. While shockwaves continue to spread across the sector, it's hitting public confidence, too. A CNBC survey suggests 60 percent of Americans now think investing in cryptocurrencies is highly risky. That's up from 45 percent a year earlier. Let's speak to Brett Quick, head of policy at the Crypto Council for Innovation. Thanks for being with us today. One of the things that really emerged last year is just how interconnected the crypto industry, the ripple effects that one company's collapse or even weakness can produce on others. What happened with FTX, no question, sent shockwaves sort of through the industry. Um, there was a lot of contagion that wasn't exactly transparent um, going into to sort of that, that debacle. Um, but at the Crypto Council for Innovation, you know, our main objective is really advocating for uh, a regulatory framework that does bring transparency and clarity to the markets where you have regulators that can see into how, you know, different companies are interconnected and what sort of contagion does exist. Um, it can really identify risks that may be, you know, too great to withstand and prevent some of the losses that we saw um, for real consumers and investors. We'll come back to the question of regulation in just a second, but I want to ask you a bit more about the collapse of FTX because it grabbed headlines all around the world, uh, especially as we learned about those allegations of mismanagement by its young CEO. Are there other cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency firms that you think could have similar risk factors or was that a one-off? Well, look, I think with any industry, you know, you have risks of bad actors. That's true in any sector. Um, and I think it's important to remember in the case of FTX that you had uh, an individual person, a, a bad actor operating a centralized entity offshore without sort of the transparency of oversight. Um, and what he did was, you know, alleged what he allegedly did has been illegal for 100 years. It was classic fraud. Um, and I think that regulators and policymakers acknowledge that, that what happened with FTX really was not a case of um, an issue with the technology that makes it, you know, particularly susceptible to these types of conditions, but it was a bad actor. Um, and again, to go back to regulation again, um, you know, our view is that bringing transparency and bringing oversight to the markets will certainly help to prevent some of that from happening. So could we now be at a turning point when it comes to regulating the crypto industry? And specifically, what kind of legislation do you think is necessary or do you expect on the horizon here? Yeah, I think that um, the losses that we've seen over the past 12 months, you know, it, it shouldn't be overlooked that, uh, you know, real consumers and real investors are, are involved 
um, and, and the collapses that we've seen of a, of a couple of different projects. And I think for the policymakers that have been working on these issues for, for many months and in some cases many years, what they've seen has really just underscored the need for a regulatory framework in the United States for really sort of a, a cop on the beat, whether that's at the the Securities Exchange Commission or the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. We expect, you know, the, the 118th Congress in the U.S. has just kicked off this month. We expect that this Congress will be sort of a crypto Congress because, um, you know, there is recognition that that these these bills and, and these regulations really need to come together and they need to be a focus um, for a number of committees that work on these issues. So we expect to see a lot of movement. There, there are a lot of details that have to be um, sort of worked out in terms of which agencies have which jurisdiction, how we're defining digital assets as securities or commodities. There's a lot of work to be done, um, but there's a lot of really thoughtful lawmakers, really from sort of all points of the political spectrum that are coming together to do the work. So we expect to see um, quite a bit of activity over the coming months and in the next two years in this Congress. And you're based in Washington, D.C., but what about regulation or even oversight on an international scale? Sure. Well, you know, it's it's no secret that you know other jurisdictions um, have made have made uh, tremendous progress and much more in many cases than the United States. You know, we're looking forward to seeing um, the next step with with Mika take place in February when the European Parliament um, has that vote and and for that sort of process to get underway for real um, implementation and effect. I guess in around in in 2024 sometime. Um, so it's really crucial, I think, in the United States that. Um, lawmakers get to work to make sure that we're sort of keeping up with the international dynamics. You know, crypto is a global issue. The Crypto Council is a is a global alliance, really recognizing um, that crypto and the technology is cross border and has the potential, um, you know, to really sort of be ubiquitous everywhere. So it's important for there to be um, sort of a, a streamlined understanding of of what the regulatory requirements and expectations are from the state level in the U.S. and the federal level um, and then globally amongst, you know, the variety of jurisdictions that are taking these issues very seriously. Most of our viewers have heard of Bitcoin, Ethereum, maybe one or two others, but there are in fact over 10,000 different types of cryptocurrencies out there. Do you think that's a good or a bad thing for the market? And do you expect more to become prevalent in the months to come? Yeah, to, to your point, there's many different uh, digital assets, uh, many to keep up with. There's over 200 types of stable coins, thousands of different offerings. Um, I think with as with we've seen with other sort of nascent burgeoning industries, there's a lot of folks that sort of, you know, as I said before, crypto tourists that want to get into the markets um, and, and into this sector. And we'll see sort of the most mature and the most developed projects really prevail um, and not all of them will survive, and that's okay. That's healthy with an industry that's sort of um, developing. But I do think we'll see, you know, additional offerings get greater traction and become more ubiquitous as the technology is is more widely adopted. Brett Quick, thank you so much for joining us on People and Profit today. Thank you, Kate. Thanks for having me. Well, the French President Emmanuel Macron is making his second attempt to reform the pension system. Efforts during his first term were scuppered by protests and the pandemic. Perhaps the most controversial proposal is raising the retirement age from its current 62 to 64 years of age. That's seen as a concession from the government's initial target of 65. Unions have vowed to fight the changes, but among the workforce, the reaction is divided, partly depending on the physical demands of their daily grind. John-Emile Jamin has more. 
in this aluminium factory. Work is a strain. Denis Vatin has toiled away for 35 years in clouds of smoke and fumes. I'm 58 years old and still have at least four years to go. At the end of the working day, I already feel tired. In France, the proposed system reform will see working age prolonged by two years, from 62 to 64. Ghislaine Demain is the youngest member of this group. But at 44, even he doubts he'll be able to work another 20 years. With the dust, with everything we do, it's very tough. In the factory, the hard labor starts at 5 a.m. Workers feel their efforts demand greater recognition. All jobs are difficult, but some are a little more than others. And I've been doing this job for 40 years, so I think it's time for me to take a break, to get some fresh air. It will be more than 60 years old because of the reforms. But how it was before, for me, was very good. Struggling under the heavy loads and dust-filled vibrations represents a very different daily challenge to their office colleagues, stationed just several meters away. If I worked in the workshop, it would bother me. Today, for the constraints I have, it wouldn't shock me to finish at 65. To provide employees the appropriate reprieve at the end of their careers, bosses are seeking the best formula. Like the French government, they're now considering different pension ages and benefits according to varying physical demands in their line of work. It's the most densely populated city in the world. Now Tokyo is boosting a financial incentive for residents to leave the capital and settle elsewhere. The Japanese government will give families who move up to a million yen, that's just under $7,700 per child. It's triple the amount that was offered under a previous, less successful program. Recipients will have to live and work in their new regions for at least five years. Japan is struggling to deal with a declining, aging population, overcrowded cities, and a growing number of deserted rural towns. Charles Pellegrin joins me now. Tokyo is far from the only example of these efforts to get people out of urban centers and into rural areas. It's clear that there is now a global trend of small towns trying to entice people to move to them, and this has been made possible in part by the COVID pandemic and the rise of remote work. For instance, the village of Albinen in Switzerland, which is offering adults over $25,000 to build or refurbish a house, or the town of Santo Stefano de Sassano in Italy, that's trying to shore up its population of 115 by offering people 8,000 euros a year and cheap rent. In the U.S., Greensburg, Indiana, has financial incentives, free office space, and a gym membership to attract tech workers. So how effective have these schemes really been? Well, the initial version of the uh, Japanese scheme moved 71 households to the countryside in 2019, and two years later, 1,184 households. The new objective is 10,000 families by 2027. There is demand for this in the U.S. too. Gallup ran a poll asking adults if they'd prefer to live in a small town. That figure was 39% in 2018, and it rose to 48% in 2020. The type that seems to be most targeted are remote workers at big tech companies. With their higher wages and skill sets, towns are competing to attract them and benefit from any stimulus they could generate. So is remote work really all that beneficial to the town where it's taking place? Well, not everyone agrees. Some of these schemes demand that people contribute directly to the local economy by starting a business or working for a locally based employer. But one study suggests that for every two remote workers brought in, one job is created. 
That's still much less than if a company moves a whole office to a small town, as this would generate five new jobs. All right, pretty high stakes there. Charles Pellegrin, thanks so much for that. Well, that's all for now. Don't forget you can find this and our previous shows on our website or as a podcast wherever you usually listen. You can also get in touch with your comments and questions on social media. Until next time, thanks for watching. France 24, your economy explained. Liberté, égalité, actualité.